This is such an exciting genre for embroidery research, and I think I say that almost every episode, but really, this one definitely is inspiring. Rank badges, or mandarin squares, as they're also known, are a true representation of the elegance and diversity of East Asian embroidery. There's absolutely nothing not to like here, combining design and embroidery skill of an extremely high level, an experience that should not be overlooked in the annals of research or design styles. When I first began researching these stunning embroideries, for some reason I had a picture in my mind of a small emblematic badge, sort of like the badges I used to sew onto my son's scout shirt as he passed through certain challenges. Not so. In fact, these exquisitely embroidered badges were quite large, between 11 to 12 inches square, were unbelievably beautiful and were boldly placed on the front and back of garments for the nobility, civil officials and the military in Imperial China and the kingdoms of Korea, Vietnam and Okinawa. Hello and welcome to the Stitch Safari podcast, a sprightly and upbeat expedition into the alluringly appealing ambrosial world of stitch history, art and embroidery. Each fortnight we'll trek through and discover the utilitarian, the decorative, the quirky and the just plain fun world that is the art of the needle. My name's Kathy Jack Copeland and I'm the Stitch Safari Expedition Leader. I'm an Australian textile artist, teacher, judge, blogger and stitch enthusiast whose work in contemporary machine stitch became my business. Mandarin squares were first authorised for official wear in 1391 by the Ming Dynasty, 1368 to 1644. However, a Song Dynasty encyclopedia shows pictures of officials wearing clothing with squares decorated with birds on the back, becoming signifiers of civil and military rank. But rank badges really appear to have been more of a formalisation of a visual identity that was already well established before the Ming, as indicated, as well as through paintings from Central Asia showing that the custom of attaching decorative rondelles or badges onto garments was well known. Previously, rank and status were communicated through belts and attached ornaments, but the display of a large, colourful, easily recognisable image across the chest and back greatly facilitated, facilitated the visual identity of a rider on horseback, something that would have been highly prized for safety reasons alone. Influence from the Mongol rulers of the Wan dynasty probably led to the Persian court also adopting and incorporating decorative rondelles and squares on the front and back of their robes as portrayed in a 1429 painting of the flying tortoise scene from the Book of Tales, Kalila Wadima. 
And this tradition of showing rank covering the chest and back through embroidered badges continued through the Ming and subsequent Qing dynasty, 1644 to 1912, until the fall of the Chinese imperial system in 1912. The badges were under continual evolution, with Ming Dynasty badges differing sharply from the Qing styles, which was smaller and featured a decorative border. Many were embroidered, but some were also woven. Seemingly, the impulse for a system of rank badges arose from the social structure of imperial China, where status was equated by the position within that hierarchy, representing the ultimate goal for educated men. And from the birth of a male child, parents dreamt of his sitting for and passing strict civil examinations, achieving rank along with the right to wear the badge, bringing great pride and financial security to the family. He would have been hailed a hero as roughly only 100 out of 10,000 or more applicants from a particular region who endured the strict almost severe examination process passed. Boys might be prepared for these civil examinations for as young as three years of age, with the first civil exams generally taken around 18. If he passed, he was awarded the Flower of Talent title, enabling him to wear the ninth rank badge, the Paradise Flycatcher, similar to our Bachelor of Arts degree. 15th century historian Qiu Jun suggests that bird motives were representative of literary elegance for civil officials, whereas animals for military officials represented the wearer's fierce courage. However, the association between birds and government rank was an ancient one, but unhappily no extant Chinese text details the rationale behind the choices for the specific birds and animals used to represent each rank. The nine civil rank badges were recognised by birds, the paradise flycatcher, quail, mandarin duck, egret, silver pheasant, wild goose, peacock, golden pheasant and lastly the crane. The nine military rank badges were recognised by animals, the seahorse, rhinoceros, panther, bear, tiger, leopard, lion and the chi lin, a mythological animal. Military examinations were handled quite differently and were sensibly based on physical tests of swordsmanship, archery and horsemanship. For whatever reasons, they were not looked upon with quite the same respect as the civil rank. And sadly, many military men destroyed their badges when the Republican Revolution overthrew the imperial system in 1911 as a means of trying to erase their past, whereas many civil rank badge holders were incorporated into the new Republican government and held on to their badges. 
Men of the first rank could afford to have many badges embroidered, while lower rank holders were not in the same financial position, which points to why so many first rank badges remain. It should be noted that two badges were required to be embroidered. And women were accorded the privilege of being able to wear either their husband's badge or, if unmarried, their father's. It was almost a mirror image of the parent design so that when seated at social events, the badges would harmoniously face each other. A small but interestingly noteworthy and thoughtful inclusion for women. Specialised workshops created the badges made in an assortment of techniques, frequently worked on a dark silk or painted background with only the finest embroidery used to create these beautiful and highly collectible badges, including simple, conventional surface stitchery techniques such as satin stitch, brick stitch, peaking knots, seed stitch, French knots, outline stitch, mat stitch, leaf stitch and couching. Thread padding was also used to create dimensional effects. Summer robes where gauze fabric was used allowed for the application of countered thread work using Florentine or flame stitch, which the Chinese called gauze stabbing. Rare examples may include seed pearls or threads spun from peacock feathers giving an iridescent green shine. These, however, are rare as might love feasting on the feather-covered threads. And unusual effects were achieved when couching gold or silver foils by using tiny stitches of silk threads in contrasting colours. Simple schematic backgrounds of flowers, mountains, waves and cloud scrolls typifies the boldness and vitality of many embroidered rank badges where the animal dominates the composition. Shape and motives differed between the imperial family and court officials. Rondell's representing an association with completeness and the heavens was reserved for the imperial family. The number of dragons placed within the rondelles further indicated gradations in status. Square badges were worn by civil and court officials and military officers. During the early Ming dynasty, many badges were embroidered directly onto the robe. However, the practical adoption of detachable badges was a financially economic measure that also allowed the embroiderer greater freedom with colour and patterning. A Qing dynasty 19th century surcoat adopting the Manchu style front opening clearly shows the rank badge created for display on the chest had to be made in two pieces to accommodate this front opening. And demand for these exquisitely worked badges positively impacted the arts of embroidery and weaving, allowing these artisans to fully exploit the potential of their technique, something that can certainly be clearly seen in many surviving examples.
Painters worked in tandem with the artists in creating these integral components of Chinese court dress that could also be used to celebrate seasonal festivals. The only surviving early Ming text describing court festivals is an account from a eunuch at the court of the Wanli Emperor Liu Zhuyu that records the numerous events and motives associated with each festival, testament to how textiles featured prominently in Chinese festival observances over millennia. One of the main festivals during Ming and Qing dynasties was Lunar New Year, where sacrifices were made to the kitchen god, who returned to heaven at this time to report on the family's behaviour during the past year. According to Liu Zhuyu, after these sacrifices, courtiers began wearing robes and badges adorned with gourds auspiciously representing plenty, fertility and numerous offspring. The Lantern Festival was another colourful and happy holiday time observed on the 15th day of the first lunar month in the Chinese calendar probably created to celebrate the end of winter and to welcome increased light and warmth with feasting, drinking and the display of multicoloured lanterns in varying shapes. Firecrackers were lit and brightly lit lanterns hung from the gates of houses and shops and it must have created a sensory delight for both the young and the young at heart. A surviving Rondel festival badge with lanterns and dragons from the Ming dynasty is lavishly embroidered and was likely worn during celebrations for the lantern festival at the Ming court. Another festival, the Dragon Boat Festival, celebrated on the fifth day of the fifth lunar month, marks when the male principle is at its lowest ebb and the female begins its ascent, the yin-yang principle. During the Ming and Qing dynasties, records describe how silk charms and streamers were used to ward off evil spirits at this time by displaying evil repelling plants and charms on their clothing and doorways, warding off the summer evils of disease and insects. A Ming dynasty festival badge features a large writhing dragon with five poisons, a three-legged frog, a tiger, a scorpion, a lizard or snake and a centipede and would have been attached to a courtier's robe to celebrate the dragon boat festival. Embroidered using counted stitches forming a diamond pattern for the background and satin, satin stitches for the secondary patterns with cord padding, uh, padding under couched gold thread creating a shimmering sculptural effect for the dragon. And at the very bottom of the badge is a toad, tiger, scorpion and lizard. It's an utterly stunning piece of embroidered art. Just consider the spectacle these colourful robes and badges would have created, bringing communities together to mark passages uh, through time and to celebrate worthy festivals. 
Qing Dynasty textile artists included a plethora of religious symbols such as the sun disc and the eight auspicious motives that included bats and peaches, with the majority of Qing rank badges appearing to have been created commercially in urban workshops. Korean rank badges began to find their own style by the end of the 17th century, using unique colour schemes characterising their Korean art, design conventions and symbols relevant to their culture. They were typically embroidered or woven domestically by a family member, perhaps displaying a more limited technical ability, but able to communicate a more individual expressiveness. And as we've seen before, Korean embroiderers favoured the use of tightly twisted silk threads produced for greater texture and durability, whereas their Chinese counterparts preferred to work with untwisted threads laid flat on the fabric to impart a glossy sheen. Vietnamese rank badges were worked in jewel tones on bright backgrounds, but also incorporated badges made on brightly coloured gauze placed over a sheet of gold foil, which shimmered beneath the design, including motifs such as lotus flowers, fruit, trees and sun and moon discs. And if you have the time, studying rank badges from China, Korea and Vietnam is a valuable design experience. The main differences appear to be in the patterning or the secondary pattern in the composition. From a late 19th to early 20th century plain gold brocade robe with decorative rank badge from Mongolia to a bright orange 19th century Vietnamese child's jacket decorated with his father's rank to a stunning official Korean 19th century elegant indigo blue robe with a single rank badge to turtles, leopards, pheasants, cranes worked in shimmering couched gold or meticulously and minutely counted threads to peacock feather covered threads to brilliant colourful satin stitch. Rank badges are coveted by collectors and are among the most widely collected category of East Asian textile art. And it's thanks to collectors from the late 19th and early uh, 20th century that so many of these badges remain today. Western diplomats stationed in Peking or Shanghai at that time acquired them for their wives or simply sent them home, with missionaries stationed throughout China also avid collectors. These once prized badges were framed to hang on walls, made into purses, used under glass-covered serving trays, decorated boxes or were taken back home as they were so easily transported. The point being, a number of these regal badges, once displayed with such pride, have survived as pieces of embroidered art, signifying a societal classification that simply no longer exists.
and a book to aid in any further research into East Asian embroidered textiles is a beautifully produced book written by Yang Yang Chung entitled Silken Threads, A History of Embroidery in China, Korea, Japan and Vietnam. The photography and historical research are exquisite. It was published by Harry N. Abrams, Inc., New York in 2005. A definitely positive addition to any embroidery history library. Thank you for your time. I truly appreciate and value the time that you spend being here. And I hope I've whetted your appetite for more. I just keep adding to the ideas. So stay tuned. There's so much more. Stitch Safari's now reached over 5,000 downloads and that's all thanks to you. It's also been mentioned as one of the 20 best embroidery podcasts of 2021 by Wilp magazine and listed in the top five textile industry podcasts as at September 21 by Feedspot. I'm extremely grateful. Please leave a message and subscribe to the Stitch Safari podcast. There's just so much more to discover and it's all so fascinating. I do post interesting tidbits on Instagram and Facebook from time to time as well as book reviews and a blog on the Stitch Safari website. So do head on over. Till the next episode of Stitch Safari, bye for now. Bye.